and welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. Once again, I am your host, The Motherload, and this episode is not quite just about first-person shooters. This is a really, really cool episode with, uh, I guess, it's worth calling him my friend now, Mr. Ted Hetchke, who is the editor-in-chief over at Dread xp.com which is a you know kind of like subsidiary site of dread central the horror site uh what do they do at dread xp horror games and holy shit am i super passionate about this now that doesn't mean that it's totally void of first person shooters uh, obviously we're going to talk about the dread x collection which includes a wonderful fps by our beloved the god himself david Szymanski. Dust Dev, the man, the myth, the legend, the Holy Ghost. But uh, we're also going to talk about a whole lot of other things in this episode, and I think that's important to bring up because uh, it's just it's it's not your typical in the keep episode. This is a special one. Fucking enjoy it, please. Dread X Collection is going to be revolutionary, I think, in the world of independent horror in general, but especially in the world of horror gaming. I can't wait for you guys to play it. It's going to be seven bucks on Steam. But, hey, I won't pitch it to you here. I'll let Ted himself pitch it to you. So, please, enjoy the episode. The music that you are hearing as we speak right now is by John of the Shred, an amazing musician. And he is obviously part of the Scythe dev team who are working on one of the games featured in the Dreadx collection. So, it's only natural that we play some of his badass music for you. But... Hey, yo, please enjoy it, and when it's over, we'll be in the keep with Ted Hetchke. Ted Henschke. I am the editor-in-chief of DreadXP.com, and I'm also the executive producer of the DreadX Collection. If people tuning in don't already know what the DreadX Collection is, um, they need to. So, sick. <laughs> we yeah, exactly. What it is. That's the big thing, and I'm super excited about this, and like, not because you're nice to me and you let me play one of the games, but because like, I found it organically because of Dave Szymanski talking about it. And then mm-hmm. I was like, that looks dope. And then I contacted you. So no one can accuse me of shilling for you right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think anyone can accuse me of, uh, of being able to get people to shill for me. Cause uh, I don't have enough money to pay for shills. So uh, hopefully after this game sells a million copies, then you'll see shills all over the internet that I can afford. But uh, no, right now it's mostly just, I have to like make a good game and be nice to people to get people to say nice things about me, which fucking rough. I'd much rather just have a lot of money. Hmm. Yeah, it's probably more rewarding this way. Maybe you'll have lots of money after after you get a couple of these rolling, man, because it's a really yeah. interesting business plan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, so I'm not going to hide the plot as to what the plan is. So let me real quick go over what the DreadX collection is so that people can know. Basically, what happened was that we were, we were trying to find a way to uh, – so the, the company that I work for uh, – so I, I run uh, DreadXP. Uh, it's, my, it's the website that I'm the editor-in-chief of, and I'm pretty much – uh, the main muckety muck over there. Um, I have another writer named Jesse Grodman who's real good, and uh, we are also looking for a couple other writers. So if any of your uh, writers, uh, sorry, listeners out there, 
uh, are interested in trying to do some video game journalism, uh, hit me up because I'm always down to try out new people. But um, DreadX, DreadXP is the offshoot of DreadCentral.com. DreadCentral.com is this uh, monolithic uh, website that's been around for a really long time. Uh, and I was writing for them for like seven years. Um, I used to be the found footage guy before I started being the video game guy. Uh, and uh, basically we were at E3 uh, a couple years ago. Oh no, not a couple years ago, last year. I've been to E3 a, a number of times, but um, last year was when we decided that they were, they're asking me, you know, Hey, you know, what, uh, what do you need in order to give the video game coverage, the same kind of uh, coverage that we give to films that we give to, um, you know, TV shows to all the other, facets of the horror world and i kind of jokingly said like oh man i'd need a whole nother website because uh there's just not enough uh anyone here that's like worked for a website before knows how hard it is to fight for front page space to fight for eyeballs and stuff so they were said uh, i kind of said you know i need my own website to post all my own stuff on because i want to do a podcast i want to do videos Uh, i want to make you know produce our own games um and they were like all right and i kind of wasn't expecting that but uh uh, you know, two months later, they came back to me and they're like, all right, here's your website. This is like the thing where I was like, I wasn't even after they said, hey, do you really want to do that? And I was like, OK, uh, I wasn't expecting to actually have it like up and running until like six months later. I thought we were going to do like it was going to, you know, basically uh, I, I just wasn't expecting them to be so good and efficient at getting things done. Uh, and and so, you know, we kind of soft launched back in November. Uh, we didn't really start actually actively posting until December. Um, and we've just been growing a lot since then. It's been a really, really fucking great journey. And um, so basically what happened is that, uh, so that's all that's all backstory, just so people can know who we are. Um, uh, you know, just know that kind of like who I am. Uh, I'm a guy that's been doing the horror thing for a really long time. I really am passionate about it. And uh, like I said earlier, I'm the guy that started off doing the found footage stuff. I, I literally got my job because I walked into the Dread Central office and the uh, the the previous editor in chief, uh, a great man named Steve Barton, a lot of people know him online as Uncle Creepy, was like, "I'm tired of all this found footage bullshit." And he just like threw a bunch of movies at me. And he's like, "I'll fucking take anyone that's willing to do this shit." And I was like, "I'm anyone." And uh, <laughs> so like, I'm just like, I you know, I'm just like a fan uh, who was previously like super into the found footage style. I mean, I still am, uh, and I still watch probably one or two horror movies a day. Seriously, I, I do it all the time. Um, I love this shit. And uh, so, you know, um, Dread Central has, uh, you know, through the Dread label, through their partnership with Epic Pictures, has been putting out uh, a lot of horror films. We did Terrifier. We did The Lodgers. Uh, uh, Epic Pictures production and the, the Dread label recently put out Butt Boy, which is not what you think it is. Uh, it's it's a really, really cool movie. A lot of people are really liking that one. Uh, we did... What are some other titles you might know? Uh, the Man Who Killed Hitler and then The Bigfoot. That was us. Um, you know, it's like the our films that are... Airdorf worked, uh, did a demo for. Oh the, yeah. There was a uh, extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. Being uh, distributed by Epic pictures stateside. Um, so, you know, we've done a, that's actually how I met Airdorf, which is a whole other story, but um, basically uh, we, we put out a number of indie films every year. And what we, we, what we try to do is we try to give them uh, a level of exposure production distribution that they wouldn't normally be able to get. So um I actually used to run theatrical releases for uh, some of our films in in Phoenix. Um, I was out there for two years doing 
something called AmeriCorps. It's like stateside Peace Corps, but basically, I was. Uh, uh, it's uh, the mission is to fight poverty. So I, I was. It was kind of like my. Um, I'm a Berkeley liberal, and I was like, I better put my money where my mouth is and actually like go do a thing instead of just talking about feeling about things. So uh, I, I I did a, a two programs out there that I'm, I'm really proud of. Um, but anyways, while I was there, is a kind of a, to keep me uh, occupied at night. Uh, I, I was hosting film screenings out there, so I'm, I'm very familiar what it's like to try to get indie products out in front of people to get people excited about it and to and to meet people that really really care. You know, I got to show people these films for some of the, sometimes the first time with the creators there in the audience, and like it was super super cool. And um, it had always been my my goal with uh, Dread XP to do something like that that style for uh, indie games to try to get our own indie games out there. Um, now the, the indie game marketplace has significantly shifted from uh, when I was basically in college. So this college is 12 years ago now for me, but really the indie marketplace uh, has gotten way bigger than it used to be. Um, and as a result, it's also gotten uh, a lot more competitive and there's a lot of publishers, you know, it's funny because the term indie is supposed to mean a, a game made without the, the the financing of a publisher, but you know, there's now like Devolver Digital, there are indie publishers out there. So my idea was to go to a number of publishers. So basically uh, you have indie, which is generally like, you know, small studios, but uh, indie can even mean like a 20 person studio now. Uh, you know, Amnesia, the Dark Descent is uh, an, an indie game and it had like a like a $390,000 budget, which is, if you're thinking about most indie creators, they don't have $390,000 lying around. So um, uh, I, I I was kind of banding about this idea of trying to get uh, a package put together that would help promote even smaller than that. Like, you know, creators that would normally only be releasing their solo projects on itch.io with no marketing budget, with no support, other than, you know, maybe some thousands of Twitter followers um, so to try to kind of create something that where those people could get the same level of kind of like coverage and uh, production value, uh, not necessarily like AAA production value, but, you know, like more more than they would normally be able to get. And um, so uh, coronavirus happened. This is, you know, this all came about back in uh, late March, early April. And, uh, you know, we were having a phone call. Uh, you know, it was like we had a phone call on... Um, March 25th, I think, maybe 24th. I, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but it was last week week of March. And I said, uh, you know what? I have an idea. We'll get 10 indie creators together. Uh, I have this idea for a, a bundle for them, uh, uh, like a jam, basically a game jam, which we're no longer calling it a, a game jam because um, I think that uh, we were calling it a curated jam at the time because it's not open to the public um, and it's not, we're not asking people to work for free. We're actually paying them for this. Uh, but we get 10 creators together, small creators that are, can, that have proven they can deliver a product, a solo created product, give them a week um, and really force them to kind of distill one idea. And so our uh, idea for something that was small and manageable and also, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, poignant, something that they could really sink their teeth into was to create uh, the playable teaser for the horror project of their dreams. So uh, everyone knows what PT is. Everyone and their fucking mom knows what PT is. Everyone and their mom has also made a, a PT clone, uh, a remake of PT of some kind. Uh, and I didn't want to make 10 remakes of PT, but I think that the concept of PT is really strong, which is that you have a, a, a title that is not only a proof of concept for a larger game, but its own 
condensed, compact story. So like PT was just this one hallway with spooky things happening in it over and over. And it like the full game of Silent Hills wasn't supposed to be PT plus 12, um, which how most uh, proof of uh, how most demos for games work or uh, chapter ones for games work is that they are basically, you know, one tenth of a full game. Well, I didn't want to do that with this. I didn't want this to be one tenth of the full game. I wanted this to be its own thing that would then lead into a potential larger project. So this, there's a few, you know, purposes behind this. First was to get a diverse package into the hand of consumers. so that They could try 10 really unique games. Uh, the, also, the other thing was to let people have a creative exploration of something that they want to do that they probably don't have the budget for. And uh, the third uh, big thing was that I wanted um, basically to just try to uh, have this collaborative process that wasn't competitive. So basically all the profits are split evenly across uh, everyone in, in the project. And uh, that's really, it was really important to me that we didn't have one person that uh, was, we, I didn't want it to be, uh, you know, whoever gets the most Twitter followers gets another percentage point. Like that was, that sounded like some fucking bullshit to me because I didn't want the developers to be at each other's throats. Um, and honestly, the, 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 the product that we got is incredibly uh, robust, interesting. Uh, like we got these 10 wildly different games. So when we, when we first, something to note is that I didn't tell anyone specifically what to make. I didn't say, hey, you know, Dave Shemansky, you got to make a shooter. Um, he did wind up making a game that has a gun in it, but uh, it's not going to be like Dusk. Um, and I didn't go to Airdorf and say, make Faith 3. I didn't go to um, basically uh, the guy, uh, jo- uh, Jonathan Choyon, who does uh, 167, the Grand Block Odyssey. It's a puzzle game. I didn't go to him and say, hey, make us a puzzle game. Um, basically, I, I just kind of let people do what they wanted. And uh, when we, we had this first initial call where we all sat in a, a, a Discord channel together and we said, okay, everyone give your pitch. And we got 10 wildly different pitches. And uh, I think last time, because this is the second time we're actually recording this, unfortunately, uh, we had some microphone issues. Um, so uh, Ty over here is being very patient and listening to me give my spiel. All over. We didn't even have any microphone issues. We had a me uh, failing to properly save the file issue just to be mm. Yeah. Um, well, you know, part of my media training is that you never in, uh, put blame on the host. So <laughs> uh, I fully accept all responsibility. Well, now that he's accepted responsibility, I can say that this shit podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, um, it is. It no, is. it was great. We, we talked for like three hours last time, which was really fun. So we're going to try to keep it shorter this time, which is why I'm kind of trying to get through the pitch all at once. Um, but yeah, like I was saying is... Um, uh, we got really, really diverse package here. And uh, last time we talked, uh, not all the games were done. I think we have one of the games done, which is the one that I sent you, uh, which was Outsiders. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but, you know, now that we have all 10 games done, it is like, I, I am like shocked with how these games look for one week of work. And um, just the 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 base, I, I don't want to say specifically how much we gave everyone, Um for the the upfront cost. But, uh, you know, we basically put together this whole package, launcher, media, uh, soundtrack, art assets, paying all the developers. Uh, I think our total budget is coming in at under $30,000, which is way more manageable than the $300,000 that uh, a lot of indie games 
are, are looking at. And um, so that is, is very exciting for us that we managed to get it done so quickly, so cheaply. And in my opinion, uh, so well, um, there's still a little bit of polishing work that's being done on the launcher end of things. But uh, like, if we had to release this tomorrow, I'm, I'd be happy with that. We're just now that we have the time to polish up a couple of things. Cause we're still waiting on steam to approve a couple of the assets. Cause that's just how the steam store works. Um, but we're, we're like ready to go. And uh, it's been freaking amazing. The, this whole process and seeing it all come together. And I mean, you will play 10 games that you will say, I don't think a single game in that package was like any other game in that package. And I, I think that for seven bucks and it's probably going to run you to play all 10 games, probably about nine hours, nine to 10 hours for seven bucks. So 10 completely different games, about nine to 10 hours, seven bucks. It's, it's a great deal. I should have charged more for it, but it was part of our contract that we were only going to charge a certain amount. And after we had signed the contract with everyone and then they were all like, we were all looking at it. We, we actually did think about uh, upping the price, but it's unfortunately, uh, you know, we can't we can't really do that because that wouldn't uh, be fair to the people that we had paid a certain rate based on what we thought we were going to be making off of it. But so the next one, um, uh, basically, uh, when we if we do the next one, uh, neither confirming nor denying that we have uh, reach, reached a solid conclusion on the next one, uh, I would just say we were we would love to do a next one. And uh, yeah, so that's that's the DreadX collection. Um, you can actually find a list of all of the games on DreadXP, uh, where I have an announcement post, and the Steam page will be going up um, like within the next two days. So you'll be able to see all of that on the Steam page. Uh, and then if you want to check it out, we're starting to reach out to a bunch of different uh, streamers, so you'll probably be seeing it on different streams and such. Um, probably not any of the Valorant streams, because uh, I don't think our, games, our game is a lot like Valorant. But have you played Valorant? No, I, not interested. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really either. It was like it, it visually doesn't really appeal to me because it looks. You know what Valorant looks like to me? It looks like one of those shitty Counter Strike servers you used to play on when you were a kid that had like all those custom settings with like random like you know disco ball grenades and shit like that. Yeah, I just I'm not sure. Like I don't have nothing bad to say about Valorant. It's just that I already don't play CS, so I'm not going to play Valorant. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I'll, I'll talk shit about yeah. Valorant. I don't care. Um, I, I, I just think that, like I said, uh, it's I've, I've just been seeing a lot of people complaining about it, which, I mean, could mean the game is amazing because people complain about Apex, and I think that Apex is pretty cool. But uh, <laughs> different studio. Anyways, um, yeah, sorry. I got derailed there for a second. So, yeah, that's the DreadX collection. I literally can't wait for this to drop. And by the way, you mentioned like all of the, you know, the steam page and everything. I'll have all of that linked right here in the notes for everyone to click on. But the thing that I'm most excited for is to just see. Well, okay. The thing I'm most excited for is to play it myself because I've got to play the one game and then now I want to play all the rest of them. But the other thing that I'm most excited for is to see what this ends up doing to, uh, revolutionize kind of the way that we get these games uh distributed and i think this is a really unique way to do it because yeah we have game jams all the time and that's cool and all but like this is a this has got a budget you know we're really showing off some talent because we're, we're using like we're like dave Samansky is essentially lending his name to 
other artists like you know that would not get this kind of thing or the, the scythe dev team like there, there are people who have some kind of pool here who are putting their name alongside people who haven't published like torpal duke right he's published mm-hmm. to my knowledge uh earl's day off's demo and i don't know of anything else he's done however mm-hmm. i'm assuming whatever he puts out is gonna be fucking kick ass and then- well, this is so funny because since we last talked i've actually learned more about the developers that they didn't tell me when i first hired them like yeah. uh, torpal duke apparently was a design lead on a couple of like educational games, like about the Renaissance and stuff. Yeah. I I just had like no fucking idea about that. And uh, Justin Renard, who's doing don't go out for us. He uh, programmed the survival mode, ammunition mechanics, combat mechanics for fallout new Vegas. It's just fucking insane, right? Like (laughs) I had no idea, but then they're they're like making their way as like these indie indie developers. Like regardless, if yeah. you could have triple A, like who's a who's a really good example? Um, Bruno Boudouin, the guy who made is making Nightmare Reaper, right? Mm-hmm. He, same thing. Like he has like a lot of these guys go cut their teeth in the triple A business, and then they want to like go out and make it on their own. Well, um, that's the thing is that I know a ton of people that have done that. Uh, there's yeah. a indie game I really liked called Assemblance, um, which was, you know, the, all the devs were like people that worked on like Bioshock Infinite and Halo and stuff. Um, and the, the, that's the thing though, is that a lot of people don't understand about the industry is that it's it, it's very, very difficult to go from uh, AAA to indie. There's a lot of, there's some individuals in the gaming industry that are known as indie creators that have uh, really kind of made it, you know, those would be your... Uh, uh, Scott Cawthon, your uh, Toby Foxes, you know, there's a number of individuals that have made big names, but it, it's really what you realize is that so much of what makes a game successful is the the inundation of the marketing materials. So, um, you know, just to kind of cor- what we were talking, what you had mentioned before is that, you know, other, there are other indie game jams out there and that's true. Problem is, is that there's really no way to promote the projects right. or try to create, you know, they'll usually have a prompt and say like, Hey, this is our horror fishing jam, but there's really no budget to promote the games. You try to sell them as a bundle. There's no contract that'll allow them to all work together. So you make these games and then basically it's a free for all for every person in the game jam to try to promote their individual games, unless people are actually following the jam itself. And then maybe someone gets an award or something for it. But other than that, there's not a lot of like market value to that. So what we wanted to do is it, this is that's why we're we're trying to move away from calling it a jam because this is really an anthology package. We're, more we're, of a jelly, yeah. <laughs> it's more of a jelly, yeah. No, it's 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 more of a like you know if you would imagine something like Creep Show the uh, or uh, Tales from the Crypt. Tales from the Crypt is is a bunch of short films all put together in one package, and those short films I guess could be sold individually, but no one goes and buys short film. They buy movies, and so if you combine them together into one package like Tales from the Crypt. Then you can you can sell it VHS Southbound. There's a number of anthology series out there. Um, I guess I should mention uh, we did Dread Central before uh, partnered with Epic Pictures did uh, Zombieland and Monster World. Uh, so I should mention our anthology films as well. And Epic Pictures actually uh, was the distributor for the movie VHS. So which VHS is actually a product of uh, Bloody Disgusting, which is another horror site who does uh, some really great stuff. I, I've, I've really enjoyed their films. They also did one called uh, Siren, which was really, really, really good. So um, big shout out to the work that they're doing over there. But uh, 
yeah, what I, so what we're trying to do, like I said, is to take these, these, cause it's, it's hard to make a, a something that anyone's willing to pay for in a week. Um, maybe like a dollar or two. Um, but to then people would be willing to pay seven bucks to see 10 good games made in a short time frame that are experimental. Uh, and, and that's, that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to get that off the ground and basically be an outlet for these indie creators. Uh, not only, to try to get their big titles off the ground, but also future indie creators to then come on board with this bundle, this package, and then to try to do their own uh, thing with the the next prompt that we um, will hopefully be announcing soon. So I don't know where we, where we derailed there. Actually, that was kind of a journey, but yeah, no, I'm trying to remember what, how we got to there, which no, was it's okay. Uh, it's okay. I got it. I got it. <laughs> oh, you were saying, um, David Shemansky uh, uh, giving his Dave Shemansky giving his um, his name to this, it, which is really uh, it's interesting because you know uh, he and he and Erdorf both have a lot of followers, a lot of pull, and a lot of traction. But right. you know, even them have seen gains to their their follower account uh, over the past because of just the collaboration here. And I think that once you plug into someone else's community, even if their community is is you know even significantly smaller than yours. The the you know one one good follower gives you ten more. Someone that's yeah. actually interactive. I mean, uh, numbers don't actually matter. Uh, well, they do. The numbers do matter, but what matters more is the interactivity. I mean, quality over quantity. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, like you know, you have uh, on your Twitter. Uh, I think the in the keep has four five four hundred five hundred followers. I haven't checked recently. Um, but you know, looking at your your Discord, you have a lot of like interactive people that are like you know that they they are. You have a, lot, a robust uh, amount of people that want to interact with you, and like that, it's more valuable to have three hundred people that actually you know interact and care and are invested than it is to have seven thousand that don't give a shit about what you're doing. You know, yeah, it's like Ice Ice Tea's famously was like you know you you don't want to have a, a million people who know your name, you want 300 people who really fuck with you and want to buy a ticket to the show. Like mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. exactly, that's the way to make your living. You Unless you, if your goal is to get rich, but even then we could have a whole different discussion about the way we monetize things. In your case, like with, with this, the point that I was trying to make earlier is it's not like, Oh, Dave Szymanski like fucking famous and he's letting all these other guys like tag along with him or whatever. Like, it's like uh, your your guarantee of quality comes from the fact that you have basically two times the people who are working on this. You have, you know, the the up and coming artists who are trying to make their way, and mm-hmm. then you have these guys that have done it. You know, they've really been in yeah, the industry, yeah, 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 really yeah. seen the way it works, and they're looking for a way to get the art out. That's not you know the work. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that you're you're definitely right there, and I think that the the way that we styled the team um, was really serendipitous because you know we have someone like Dave who not only is it launched Dusk but is now the creative uh, director for New Blood, you know, the, a lot of their games, Maximum Action, Medieval stuff like that, a uh, really talented guy. Um, but he, you know, it was like Justin being having come from Obsidian Entertainment, having worked on Fault New Vegas, had things that he knew that, you know, uh, David didn't know. And then our programmer, um, he's this guy from Poland uh, named, oh God, I'm going to, 
fucking butcher his name. Uh, it's, it's Greg Wojcikowicz, something like that. I, I he's gonna be mad at me. No, he won't be mad at me. He doesn't. He knows that I I can't pronounce Polish for shit. My girlfriend's gonna be the one mad at me because she uh, is Polish, and I've been promising her that I'm learning it, but I'm not because uh, <laughs> it's fucking impossible. Um, uh, but he, you know, he he basically taught people how to put the files in the game to make it so that Steam achievements work. Uh, because Steam Achievements is how we do one of the secret things that I don't know if I want to talk about yet, uh, but I probably will later in the pod anyways. You know, and uh, so it was like this collaborative process where like everyone learned something different from everyone else. And um, it's really, really cool. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that I think that I, I went into it expecting um, some of the bigger names to carry the weight pretty much entirely of the package. But that really... You know, it's, I've been surprised to find that that really isn't the case that they that they have gotten as much out of this as you know even the smallest people in our in our in our group. And I think that um, I, I think that a lot of there's a lot of really creative, really talented devs out there that just really never get the chance to work in a situation where they will get any kind of exposure. Um, you know, like uh, James James Rag is uh, one of our uh, creators. He's also known as Lovely Hellplace. He made the game Shatter, um, and his his visual artistic style is like fucking amazing. And uh, I, I learned about him because I randomly found his game Dread Delusion on the Haunted PS One demo disc. Which big shout out to the Haunted PS One demo disc and everything that they're doing over there. But uh, he he's um, it was like the, he he's probably like one of the guys that has uh, this. He started this with a small following and he's been the one who every time we put something out and everyone gets eyes on it has been so excited about. So it's like, you know, uh, air will retweet something that uh, James does and James's game will get a ton of buzz off of it. And it, it's just been really, really cool to, to see that, that, that kind of uh, that's kind of synergy working. Um, and uh, you know, so I think that everyone's benefited in a different way from this kind of collaborative process. I'm rambling again, so feel free to cut me off. I think that to put it into a, a nice little bow tie for you would be to say that I think the DreadX collection, if this continues to be a thing, will become something akin to like a CBGB for yeah. game developers who work in this kind of style. You know, like th- that's the place or the comedy store, you know, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. Los Angeles, like that kind of a thing where like the people know each other through this thing who all kind of have similar goals and they can bounce ideas off of each other. And just by just, you know, swap and spit, swap and skin, whatever it is that they're doing with each other. Uh, we're going to ultimately see a rise in quality and ideas and everything. That's yeah. what I'm hoping for. Yeah, no, that's definitely what I'm hoping for too. That's, and that was kind of my, uh, when when I was going into this and, and the, 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 the idea of getting the 10 developers, um, what I said when I originally started was that no one has to work together, but we're giving everyone the opportunity to. And that's what I think really is uh, the, the key here. Um, because I don't think that necessarily, uh, co- mm, how do I put this? Um, I don't think that uh, teamwork builds camaraderie. I think that cooperation builds camaraderie. I think that people working together because they have the choice to, rather than saying, okay, you seven people all have to work together. I think that when you force people to work together and force people to do things together, it kind of creates um, some friction. I don't think it's like, um, uh, what's the, I don't think it's like sports movie, insert sports movie here. 
uh, where everyone just gets along great. I think that if people choose to work together and, and, and choose to, but everyone's worked in an office where they just have to work with someone that's an asshole and they never get along with them and they fucking resent their job. And so that was the, the, the idea I had with the dreadx collection is that you know, everyone can come in, everyone can show off, everyone can bandy ideas about, um, but no one is, is forced to, but the, the overall positivity of the, uh, of the group is what really draws people into wanting to draw from the experience of yeah. uh of each other and um and that's very much like you know like the the comedy store or something is that no comedian in the comedy store goes in and someone tells them what jokes they could sh- say they go in they say their jokes they get off stage they did well or they didn't and other people you know they 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 then insert themselves into the marketplace of ideas and i think that that's that's kind of what we're trying to do here yeah, and then they have the choice to either go home or like walk into the back and then hang out with, you know, any given night, 10, 15, 20 of the the best people working on exactly what they do, the best comics. Uh, I assume the same kind of thing went on in New York during when the rise of punk when you have like Iggy Pop and the Ramones all like sharing the same air. Like that's um, this is going to be really really interesting as it grows. Like we're talking about launch number one before it even happens. But I'm thinking of like, what's launch number 10 going to look like for you guys? Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. And, um, you know, basically the, like I said, the, the, we, we put this whole thing together for so cheap that mm-hmm. our, our profit margin, uh, like the amount that we actually have to sell in order to like recoup the cost and be able to make a new one is so low that, uh, you know, it's, it's, pretty likely that we'll be able to do it um i don't want i just don't want to make any promises and then not be able to to follow through well, it's so so low that you're already deciding to give like what 30 percent of the profit to charity so well, yeah two sevens which I, we ran into some problems with on steam because they're like what if it's like russian dollars and i'm like i don't even know how this works uh but basically two sevens of the profits go what to steam, what if it's some, russian just fucking convert it damn it uh, yeah they were saying that the it's not necessarily that the, the it, 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 economics of it matter it's that customers might get confused and i was like okay whatever it's just uh, ah yeah, so it's two it's, i reworded it so that it's it's two dollars of every seven dollars of full retail price proportional to sales so it's like uh anyways yeah um so if it sells for five bucks on a sale then doctors without borders is getting like a dollar 33 i don't i don't know i can't do that kind of math in my doctors head. don't have borders we shouldn't have it like <laughs> we shouldn't have to have like an issue with the currency now nah, we'll, i guess it is ironic issue. that we're having currency conversion troubles for doctors without borders which is that's what i'm yeah. saying <laughs> uh, yeah so that's that's what it is and um it should be coming out uh in the next so basically what we're waiting for now is we're waiting for the approval on a couple of the assets on steam which like by the time this goes live um it should be done. And then uh, then two weeks after that, we'll go live. And um, we're just polishing up a couple of the assets in the store. But I, I would say we're at the 98% complete mark at this point. So, well, Fuck yeah, dude. So yeah. I'm going to go ahead and start. Let's Spoiler time. Mm-hmm. I got to play Outsiders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been not totally like up front with you. I've been telling everybody that... that you got to play this game. You got to play this game like in person, like everybody I'm at work just, Hey man, what do you, you know, what's going on? I'm like, I really, really want to play this game. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. and that, that one just kind of blew my mind. I guess the best way for me to describe it without ruining it for anybody is like, I don't know, maybe you played like outer wilds or it's a live, die, repeat type situation. Um, and 
you will have to escape a house. <laughs> that is That's, a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. I can't say any more than that without giving it. Uh, there's a cornfield and there's some really yeah. <laughs> badass. Uh, I can't, I can't say too much, but all I'm saying yeah. is I'm really excited about this. I will tell you what you, what we can say about it, which is that yeah. um, you start, you start off in a house and you wake up and you have a certain amount of time to fr- find items and then try to basically uh, it's like a, like a escape room kind of game, you know, that, that kind of horror game where you try to find items, combine them with other things and, uh, well, not really combine them in the sense of like a crafting game, but like use item on thing to progress. Um, right. And then after that time frame is up, uh, after a certain time period is up, something uh, um, something starts chasing you. Uh, and then after another time time frame, uh, you'll you'll die. And then after you die, it kicks you back to the main menu, but it also lets you know, hey, that wasn't the whole game. And then you start again. And then when you start again, some things have changed. Uh, and then eventually gets to the point where uh, the game, it, the game doesn't like end when you get to like run through 10, uh, the game ends when you figure out everything. Um, so basically the game changes to make certain aspects a little bit more obvious. Um, so that you're slowly discovering something's happening in this, um, in this house. And uh, you can see it in the trailer. Some of the monster stuff, there is a monster in the game. There is something trying to kill you. Um, and there are uh, a lot of uh, scares in the game. I would say probably the coolest part, uh, which you can see in the trailer, is the uh, when you get when the monster starts chasing you. Uh, it's not um, it's not a dude with a knife. It is you'll start seeing handprints appearing on the wall and start slowly kind of coming at you. So it's it's a creeping darkness kind of kind of thing and i thought uh i don't know it's just great and then it, it's going to be one of those games that uh you'll discover different triggers as it goes on for different scares in different playthroughs based on what you have discovered and you'll be like did that always do that or is that something that started in this run um yeah so uh it is it is pretty cool yeah i i didn't even want to say that much because i i feel like a lot of it, a lot of the fun for me, you know, I, I was trying to basically just beat it in one sitting. And then I really underestimated like how much thought and fun it was going to require of me. Cause I'm, I'm used to thinking of games as, especially in this genre, like I'm thinking this is going to be a fairly linear experience. I'm just going to yeah. like, yeah. And then I was absolutely blown away by like the depth that you get out of a game that you're selling for essentially <laughs> what 50 cents if you really yeah 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 Yeah, i mean it's even if uh figuring it basically uh it should be we 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 did a bunch of testing on an average the average player um couldn't figure out how to get out until the eighth or ninth run um but i'm so on the left side of the bell curve yeah well really good people that play a lot of video games uh they could figure it out like five or six um and then uh you know some of the 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 people that don't play a lot of video games it was like it's it's like it's not an automatic win game either like you're not gonna be able to get through it unless you actually do think and like figure out the puzzles and like memorize some stuff so like there you could you know theoretically never be able to beat it if you're just super bad at video games but um the uh the uh the game that so basically on average it's going to take a player about two hours to beat the game 
which for yeah, a 50 cent game is a long time. I mean, it's incredible. And then just to think that these are like, essentially the idea here is that these are supposed to be concepts for dream projects, you know, that may be expanded in the future. Well, I don't, I don't even know what you might be able to utilize or do with that. If this is a financial success. Too. Oh yeah. Outsiders yeah. is um, one of the ones that uh, I was a bit strategic with showing that off first. So there's a couple of reasons I showed that one off first, which the first is that um, Kyle actually started a bit earlier than everyone else because um, I didn't like tell everyone like for this. Okay. So for the seven days, we had people make the games in seven days. I don't know if I mentioned that, but we had everyone make these games in seven days. Um, uh, I did earlier. I must've, um, but uh, seven sleepless nights, seven sleepless nights. Uh, Kyle started a little bit early because of um, work uh, clashes. And um, I, I was totally fine with that. Like I'm not the, uh, another benefit we have over other jams is because we don't have like 400 fucking applicants and we don't like, we don't have to start at 8 AM on Saturday. Everyone start now. It was like, okay, everyone starts Monday, but you know, if you have to like, if you have a day that you have to go to the doctor, go do that. You can finish, you know, your seven days, you can take, um, you know, any, any amount of time to, to do those seven days of work. Um, but we did, there was a certain kind of end date that we eventually had to implement. Uh, uh, but yeah, so his was done a little bit early. And um, uh, so he like, you know, turned his in before everyone else's. And uh, so that was ready to show off earlier. But also I was like, wow, this like, this is like really good for a game he made in, in seven days. And uh, it was, it was, uh, and it's also one of the ones that um, it's, I can easily see this becoming uh, a franchise or a bigger game, but I can see, I can see outsiders part two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you know, kind of like five nights at Freddy's. Well, the, yeah. Well, the way I would put it is I can't tell you what the end is, but when you get to the end, you'll immediately see like, Oh, th- this could really go on. There could be so much more content like this. So yeah. And, and it's the thing is, is that like, I, I, I want to be able to tell people how it ends though. I know, cause it's fun. Because then I, I, I feel like if I did that, it would be like, they'd already be ready to buy two, three, four. Like I want, yeah, to but I, I don't want to ruin the surprise for people. And I did, I do think don't it is ruin the surprise. Yeah. Don't ruin it. So yeah, but just to trust us that it has a fun ending. So <sighs> yeah. Um, so that's been really cool. Um, yeah. Outsiders is a lot of fun. And uh, I will say that if, if, if you like outsiders, there are, I will, I would say you will, I don't, I I think that everyone's going to have a favorite game from the package. And I don't think it's going to be the one that people go in expecting. Cause I don't think many people are going to go in expecting outsiders to be their favorite, but I do think that a lot of people are going to have it be their favorite um, be, because that's the benefit of a package like this is that you really, when you have such diverse games, you go in thinking that you, it, it kind of gives you a chance to check things out. You would not normally otherwise check out. I think a lot of people are going to really love don't go out, which is a, basically a, a tactics card game. And mm-hmm. I don't think that a lot of people going in to play the pony factory, which is a Dave Schmansky's shooter game are going to think that they're going to like uh, a tactics card game. Well, maybe they, they do, but you know, and uh, but when they do play it and they, they I think they're going to really like it because I, I, I think that we, we do interesting things with basically all of our games. So that's and that's kind of the most I can say about it without spoiling anything. 
I'm looking forward to the process of discovery more than I'm looking forward to any one particular one of these projects. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, I, I mean, I'm looking at just the screenshot of summer night and I is already, I'm already a Airdorf fanboy. Like I'm wearing his t-shirts and I'm a, I'm a loser. Hey, mm-hmm. Hey man, what's up? I love you. <laughs> but no, like, I'm looking forward to the process of discovery, uh, you know, trying out all these new games. Because when I I immediately just kind of assumed that, yeah, these are all going to be like kind of first person walk around type things. And then when I started like seeing you release more and more on your podcast and all that, I, you know, like Hand of Doom looks dope. That just looks (laughs) so cool and unique and everything, but still kind of closer to that thing that I was expecting. And then, you know, as you mentioned, now we've got, card games and crap in here i'm like what the fuck yeah Yeah. it's so neat it looks like a just speculating here maybe it kind of just looks like a like a roguelike sort of situation uh Um, yeah uh hand of hand of so uh uh, not hand of doom uh don't go out out. yeah Yeah. it's it's the 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 deck is randomized um because it's a card game Uh, I, i wouldn't but that's the thing is that because it is uh, basically the the first piece of it. This one's a little bit more contained, but uh, oh, that's right. The the podcast with Justin doesn't come out yet. He explains that you know he basically set it up as a template to expand it into a much much larger game. So, right, yeah. This is, I mean, just it's a very unique concept that I don't think I've ever heard of happening before. Because it is a yeah, it's a card game, but it's an, a turn based RPG that looks like a dungeon crawling roguelite type situation i don't i don't know I, and I mean, a horror just, game. it is a horror yeah, game it's all of these things and like it, it's kind of breaking my brain to think about yeah no i mean that's that's why i'm so excited about it, is that justin's super yeah. talented and like the fact that he came up with this is super cool <sighs> so yeah. i'd be remiss to have you um i had the opportunity to have you on a second time and not at least do some some movie talk mm. So we've Let's we've go. sold the game, I think, at this point. And if we haven't, we're, we're probably not gonna. <laughs> yeah, if you're not on board to the Dreadx collection already, I don't really know how to sell you anymore. And I don't think that we will ever be able to reach them because ten completely different games for like a completely different diverse audience for so cheap. Uh, where that's actually all in- interesting and indie and experimental. Plus, um, uh, there's another element to it that uh, we have a basically. We have the 10 games and then there's the collection itself as its own thing, uh, which basically there's a, there's a game within all the games. So enjoy that when you, uh, when you get it. Um, but yeah, I don't think if, if, if people don't want to buy it at this point, I don't know how to get them anymore. I don't think we ever will. So let's talk well, movies. They, they probably talk? didn't, they didn't click on the episode and then they definitely didn't listen to however long we've been on the air. So, <laughs> so, all right. What movie do you want to talk about? Well, not any particular movie. i You've got your regimen of two horror movies a day, long a career horror writer. I really am just kind of curious to pick your brain on what you like, what tropes you see that excite you. You, you know, made your way in the yeah, yeah, the found footage genre, and then you've done everything since then, man. So what's yeah, going think- on? What's like the zeitgeist of modern horror to you? The Zeitgeist to Modern Horror right now is uh, it's in a really odd spot because I don't think that we have a uh, real strong guiding force of the next generation of uh, horror films. Mm-hmm. Um, we so uh, basically horror can be 
broken down into various different generations. Um, and of course, any like real horror fanatic will be able to tell you that within those generations, there's further subdivisions and there's things that come out that go against the trend. But, you know, um, I would say both in horror films and in horror games, we're at a point right now where we don't have a current uh, leading uh, uh, trend. Um, I mean, even Resident Evil right now is basically going back and just remaking old Resident Evil games, which uh, might set the tone for remaking old horror movies, I guess. And maybe that's, you know, that's the fucking how horror works is that you always got to have your remakes. Uh, so the current, I, I will say that uh, what, you, what you'll notice is that the action genre, uh, realistic action genre has gotten really, really, really popular. And I'd imagine that uh, that is going to be the, what the direction I'm, I'm going to see horror. I think horror is going to be going in for a little while now. So we had um, ready or not, which was a, Great movie about a, a woman being hunted in a house, uh, a lot more grounded than a lot of other horror movies un- until the very end. But I don't want to spoil uh, the ending of Ready or Not. Um, and Ready or Not kind of followed in the, the footsteps of a movie called uh, "There," uh, not "There Watching." God, what movie am I thinking of? Uh, it's Who's Next? I think. Sorry, I'm, my 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 horror fans are gonna think I'm some kind of fucking scrub for this, but. Uh, I was just watching a bunch of found footage and they're watching as a found footage film. So yeah, it's, it's who's next is what I'm thinking of. Um, but uh, which of itself follows in the, the trend of an older film uh, called high tension, which basically started uh, a wave of, you know, badass women uh, fighting. But I think that uh, if you look at um, extraction, just came out recently, the, the Chris Hemsworth uh, murder film, um, there was a, there was a, there's a swath of, uh, Malaysian murder films that came out uh, or Indonesian murder films. Um, uh, the Raid, The Raid 2, uh, The Night Comes for Us. Uh, and, you know, um, there there was the, the uh, this kind of hyper violent trend is has actually been in uh, Asian cinema for a really long time. Uh, movies like Each of the Killer or uh, I Saw the Devil. Um, great, great films. But uh, John Wick... Um, was basically uh, following in this trend of movies that were kind of created by uh, stunt people. Um, so uh, John Wick was like a stunt guy, basically created that franchise. Um, the uh, the Raid movies, very, very similar. What's really cool is that um, some of the actors from the Raid franchise, uh, you know, people that don't speak English, that would never see representation in Western cinema, we're in uh, John Wick three, which is really cool to see that. But uh, what the bigger hint of that is is the the fact that these names uh, Hollywood doesn't do anything if they don't think it can make money. So the, they they there was a calculated. Someone said in the Hollywood backrooms, "Hey, if we get this guy from the raid that doesn't speak English, that wouldn't normally be marketable, put him into John Wick three. Right, we're going to see more sales for that." Um, and I think that uh, or. It, Maybe even it was just the case that they won't lose sales because he, he might be cheaper to hire. I'm not exactly sure. But uh, Netflix did The Night Comes for Us, which was an action Asian murder film. And then Extraction, which is basically that same kind of film, but with Chris Hemsworth. So that is what I see as a trend of, and, and uh, uh, The Night Comes for Us, not The Night Comes for Us. Well, it was really popular when it came out, but Extraction was like the number one uh, Netflix movie in the United States. You look at those trends, and I think that they're going to say for more horror people, okay, what if what's the horror equivalent of this? So I think what we're going to see 
um, this is my little bit of future site, is more films that are uh, driven by special effects coordinators um, that are going to be special effects kind of extravaganzas that they're going to be kind of uh, showcases of that special effects artists' abilities. Because I think um, people are really primed for that kind of visceral uh, horror, that visceral kind of film, less heady, more, uh, you know, in your face. And uh, I think that, um, I think that that's what we're going to be seeing pretty soon here. Um, And that's, that's my, that's my prediction because I think that very rarely is there any genre that doesn't kind of spill over into other genres. And I think that, you know, just judging by the success of these kind of action, hyper action, stunt heavy action uh, films that that's going to be, there's going to be a horror equivalent to that. Um, or it could just be, I just feel like that because I watched the cabin in the woods again today with my girlfriend, <laughs> which was pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's what, what I like, what directors excite you? What What's like films that you've seen recently come out that really like, I, and I don't care about your objective opinion. I want like, the real what do you yeah. like the opinion um so that's actually a hard question because i have a really 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 skewed perception of reality based on like of what things come out when uh because i still see a lot of movies like as screeners uh before they actually are released so i'm trying to think about actually what i can talk about first off oh um, okay yeah but i yeah. think that um you know uh we got like uh, uh fede alvarez who did um don't breathe was really great. I think that um, I also did the Evil Dead remake, which I think was great. Um, that the spot where the guy gets his hand like frayed mm-hmm. while they're down in the water in that movie is like one of, of all the things in that movie to disturb me. It's like seeing his hand be like basically broken in half with his fingers frayed over was just the most visceral. Yeah. Because you can imagine what that would feel like. There's certain types of pain that are like unimaginable, so they don't really affect you in the same way. You can be desensitized to them, and then there's that. Such a fantastic like th- that whole movie was really cool. Well, that's an old Quentin Tarantino uh, trick: is that right. you know you show a hundred people getting their heads cut off by a katana, and no one flinches, but you have the you so show someone getting a paper cut, and you're like, ooh, because mm-hmm. yeah. you can imagine that. Um, yeah, uh, current horror that I really like. I would have to like actually look up a list of horror movies I've I've seen recently, um, because I think that a uh, uh, a lot of yeah, like I said, so much of my perspective is skewed because I'm not sure what came out when. Um, but I, I think that scary. I think that uh, okay. So uh, I really liked the new It. Um, I know a lot of people had problems with It Chapter Two. Um, but I think that people uh, have like really overvalue uh, the quality of the original it movie. I know that's like not the, 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 the opinion that I'm supposed to say as a horror person, but like going back and watching the original it, it's like not terribly scary. <laughs> Tim Curry is great in it. He's, he's fucking amazing. But uh, I think the cult of personality around him has overshadowed the actual uh, empirical quality of that movie. Cause it's kind of a shitty made for TV movie. Uh, so I think that, uh, yeah, that was really good. Uh, what else did I watch? Oh, I watched, uh, the newest Godzilla movie. Uh, and it's probably the dumbest movie I've ever seen, but I, I loved it because it had a lot of Godzilla, uh, punching monsters. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a really big fan of that. 
I like I like it when uh, a giant dinosaur uh, shoots lasers out of its mouth. I'm pretty stupid like that. Um, did you I'm, watch I'm a, Shen Godzilla? I did. I did. I uh, yeah, that was it, my favorite one. Period. It's fun. I mean, it's it's Godzilla movies are uh, they're they're like if if you don't like Godzilla movies, there's something wrong with you. Like as a person. Like you have stopped being able to feel joy at some point in your life. And that's, that's not never something I want to be. I never want to get to the point where I I stop feeling joy in my life uh, enough that I, I I forget what it's like. I I need to look up 2020 horror movies because the coronavirus has really fucked everything up at some point. Uh, I saw the grudge. It was not. Oh, underwater. Underwater was a great movie. Uh, I saw that recently. It's uh, Kristen Stewart fights Cthulhu. That was pretty fun. Um, and underwater, which is great. Uh, I watched Sea Fever, which is another underwater horror movie. I think I just like underwater horror movies. I really like Deep Blue Sea. That's like one of my favorite movies. <laughs> Smart Sharks. Um, LL Cool J throws a lighter at a shark and it explodes, and he says, "You ate my bird." And that's the best line in all of cinema history. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Underwater was great. Um, who directed that? I'm not exactly sure. Uh, William Eubank. Huh. Yeah, that's uh oh he did the, he did the signal so that that was a great movie. Uh, that is oh wait, really? No, the signal was okay. The signal two thousand eight was better than signal twenty fourteen. Anyways, you were saying? No, it's just really cool to kind of get to see what you're into because like I, I, there are a lot of horror movie connoisseurs out there, but you're like a sommelier. So <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see the thing is is I think that a lot of horror fans are um, obsessed with the past, like in general. Um, And I'm generalizing here because I'm a piece of shit, but whatever. Uh, So many horror fans are obsessed with, man, everything was better back when they made Halloween. But like Halloween didn't... Halloween was a a product of its time. And it also was a, like, you know, it was an experiment. Like I'm not, I'm less interested in that the fact that Halloween was good as what is the next thing that's going to break trends. Like that's what I'm more interested in is like the future. And um, uh, I don't. I don't think that the 2020 grudge is going to be the future of horror. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm looking for like that's it. It's not just movies, or it, it's all business and media in general. At this point in time, is where we've gotten away from taking risks and experimenting, and we're like more, as you said earlier, they're they're looking for guaranteed money. So, well, I think that everything has always kind of been about guaranteed money. It's just that yes. the barrier to entry has gotten higher. Like um, it's, it's harder to make a movie now than it was in the seventies, like in terms of cost. Um, but it is easier to make an indie film because, you know, like you can just film a movie on your phone. Um, but there's, there's basically, if you want to make the next Dawn of the dead, uh, you're going to need, a significant amount of money to do that more so than the average person has. Cause I think the budget for Dawn of the dead was what, I don't know. Let me Dawn of the dead budget. Sorry to all your listeners that now get to hear my clacky keyboard. I'll clean it up. Uh, oh no, Dawn of the, I'm not thinking of Dawn of the dead. I'm thinking night of the living dead. Although Dawn of the dead was only made for half a million dollars. So, uh, that was the budget for night of the living dead. Uh, yeah, it was made for $114,000, uh, which, you would then, of course, have to translate that to you know whatever that is in today's money, um, but 
or you know, paranormal activity is a good example. It was like ten thousand dollars to make that, but that's one in a one in a billion people that yeah something like that. But um, every once in a while, you get one of these experimental things, like like a Halloween or like a paranormal activity that is just like a, a genuine. We're gonna try something here that turns into something that we're talking about forty years later, fifty years yeah. later in Halloween's case, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, and we're not going to know it until it's 20 years later, and we're talking about it. But I'm always like keenly trying to figure out what that's going to be. Well, that's the thing is that I think that um, we're so obsessed with the idea of these iconic classics that we forget mm-hmm. that like these iconic classics weren't iconic classics when they came out. Right. Like, it's not like Night of the Living Dead came out and everyone said this is the most amazing film I've ever seen. It was like you know there was critical like when Predator came out, people didn't like it. It got like poor reviews, which is fucking hilarious because Predator is now like an icon of the action and horror genres. Right. Um, and that's a lot of things that we remember is that like we forget that it, it went through a lot of period of uh, people shitting on it before it got any kind of acclaim. And um, that's why I, I think that I was actually having a conversation with uh, Jessica Harvey, uh, who uh, made a game called uh well, didn't make. She worked on a game called uh, Paratropic, Paratopic, sorry. And it's this indie art game. And uh, I was, and she's like, yeah, we got like universal praise, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I always wonder how many people, it, it's really, really easy to like say, I really like this indie art game. It's like much more difficult to like actually buy all of them, but it's very easy to like virtue signal and say, I'm the person that likes this indie art game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's it's like, uh, and that's that's kind of what interests me is that I, I really think like lot, your choice of words. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. it's true. It's I, I think that yeah. um, we we in 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 our era of parasocial relationships, we tend to self define based on uh, franchise and commodity. So it's like uh, I am an anime fan. It's like, but that doesn't tell me anything about who you are. Like, oh, I like shooters. That doesn't actually tell me who you are. But as soon as you enter into a group of people that like shooters, then they'll all do this. You know, I'm sure that you've experienced this where everyone has to, like, measure their, like, shooter dicks. They're like, okay, well, did you do you prefer uh, Doom or Doom 2 or Doom 2016? Or And then it's like, oh, but have you played dusk and then someone will bring out something more even indie than dusk and it's, it's like, like a bunch of teenagers talking about the, their favorite death metal band that's exactly yeah, what it is. Yeah. it's yeah and you find this all over the place and I, I i i'm less interested in being part of that conversation because um i don't i don't really i don't find it to be productive and i don't necessarily find it to be interesting there's a certain amount of like feeling someone out you have to do to like figure out the baseline for conversation so if like i start talking to someone and I, I, I'm like, I want to talk about like horror shooters and like, they've never played Clive Barker's Jericho. It's not like I can't talk to them, but like, I'm just not going to be able to talk about Clive Barker's Jericho then, um, which no one should play. Uh, sorry, Clive. Uh, the game wasn't very good. Uh, but like, you know, it's like um, you have this conversation and, and everyone's like initially trying to figure each other out. And there's a natural, there's a natural reason for that. But at a certain point, it just becomes ego. And I don't, I don't care about ego. Uh, and uh, you would really enjoy. So there's this essay by a guy called Paul Graham called what you can't say. Mm-hmm. Essentially dissecting like how fashion works and how people change 
what they are, you know, what we're allowed to say or what we say in groups based on fashion and not based on what actually makes any kind of fucking sense. I, I'm do, I'm going to do a very poor job of trying to explain it, but I recommend anybody that's like interested in not just in free speech, but like in the way that groups uh, think should read yeah. that essay. Yeah. Cause Cause like, it's a, you're describing exactly what, what we're talking about, which is yeah. the way that people will identify they'll, they'll attach their identity to something and then not actually really reveal any depth to who they are or what their character is. Yeah. And I, I think that um, we're like, I think that I, we're going to uh, initially seem like we're talking about one thing when I start saying things like, you know, the, the identifying and the person and the virtue signaling, because people have so often politicized those terms, but I'm not using uh, them. In yeah. Political. No, I appreciate that you used them in a way that wasn't a political yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah you were virtually signaling when you said virtue signaling. Right. No, exactly. And like, I, I, I like to, to virtue signal myself here, not virtue signal, but just to like say it, like, you know, I'm, I, like I said, I'm a Berkeley hyper liberal. Like I, I, that's how I went to school. And then I joined the AmeriCorps cause I wanted to put my money where my mouth was in social programs. But I'm the kind of guy that's like, if I think that there's something that needs to be done, I, I go and I do it. So it's my, my problem nece- isn't necessarily, uh, you know, with the, with the politics. It's, it's like I said, it's with, um, with action. Like I, I think that right. people should like put action to their, their opinions. And uh, with a lot of these, like, this is my favorite game, blah, blah, blah. Like I, I, I understand everyone has their favorite game, but your the purpose behind stating your favorite game should be because you're trying to, either uh, you're trying to in, in, in whatever way it, it is your capacity, whether you're a fan or whether you're a creator, you should be trying to further the discussion of your favorite genre to the point where it evolves. Like that is my opinion of like why we have discourse is like, so if, if someone doesn't like, um, uh, like doom eternal, like go ahead and say that you don't like doom eternal because the purpose of saying that is to try to say, Hey, this is where I think shooters should go, but you shouldn't say, I don't like doom eternal. Cause you're trying to be a fucking edgelord, you know, like that doesn't add anything. <laughs> That's why I think we had that discussion. I'm not going to go on this another whole route again, but like, that is why I was expressing to you, like my hesitancy to express my opinion about something like that. Not because I'm a, I'm afraid of what people might think or anything like that. It's just like, I don't want to, do the whole conversation. Like I, I don't feel like it serves any purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I get it. I, 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 I think that you have to have intention. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't always have to have intention when you're speaking, but I think that if you're going to be speaking in like a public forum, you should have intention. I'm not saying that people need to be intentional all the time. You can just say like, I like starship troopers. Cause you like starship troopers. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Which I do. I think starship troopers is great, but. Yeah. Anyways, that that was kind of my my tangent on uh, uh, opinions, and it's a person who's like a professional opinions person. Like, yeah, that's kind of how I try to approach things. Um, like, I always try to not uh, like in the reviews that we put out on Dread XP, I, I try not to like shit on a game like needlessly. Um, I, I just put out a review for Resident Evil Resistance where I gave it a, a two out of five because, um, and I broke down pretty much every facet of why I didn't like the game. Uh, but I I think that. Um, the, the purpose behind that was to say, hey, first off, as a consumer, this is what you're getting when you when you buy this game. Secondly, uh, as a creator, you know, this is what I think the game did wrong. So I, I'm not going to, like, go into a game and say, like, the developers have no fucking grasp of, like, how to do this and that. They're shit. Exactly. Right. There's a way to, to try to advance discourse. Um, but it's easier. It's oftentimes easier, more provocative, and you'll get more views if you just talk shit. And um, that's the... 
the sad reality of the the kind of the culture, the internet culture that we all reside in today is that if you go online and you're like, fuck you, then like a bunch of people are going to follow you. So uh, I don't know. I've, I try not to personally do that, but uh, maybe when I sell out, I will. Who knows? I'll sell out someday and make a lot of money off of saying provocative things on the internet. I, I'd take you up on that bet. I don't think you will, man. <laughs> I think you're one, you're someone of, I'm really happy to kind of be talking to you just period because you're a really cool person. Like that's one of the coolest <laughs> things about doing what we do here is like you get to, isn't it weird that people who are like the most obsessed with horror and like fucked like games about shooting people, like the most fucked up kind of stuff that you could really be into are like the nicest, most well-spoken, thoughtful and like introspective people. Yeah. Some of us are idiots though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you find you find good people in every stack, I think. But yeah, this is awesome. I really appreciate you doing the show twice. Yeah, no, no problem. It was it was uh, when you said, "Hey, I, I, we need to re-record." I was like, "Hey, I'm happy to do it." Um, but yeah, Dreadx Collection is is going to be coming out by the end of the month. By the time this is uh, going live, you should be able to, you know, link click in the description below to get to the Steam page. So yeah, yeah, and I think right. that uh, that's probably the amount of time we have. It was like a big day in the. Some Xbox convention happened. And I got like eight articles I got to put up. So, well, get after it, dude. Peace yeah, well, Ty, thank you so much for having me on again. I really appreciate it. You can come on anytime, dude. We should like you should be a recurring guest to talk huh. about it, whatever the fuck you want. I'd love that. Yeah, we'll have you on uh, our podcast some point. Right. Yep, real professional podcast, folks. Tune in. Oh yeah, yeah. We uh, we recently we just did a uh, an interview with the Daymare people, so that'd be cool. Right on. Daymare nineteen ninety eight is the the game. So yeah. Alrighty. Thanks, Ty. It was great talking to you. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ted as much as I enjoyed having it. Thank you, obviously, to Ted and all the good folks over at Dread Central and Dread XP for the amazing work they do. Real professional podcast. Definitely check it out. Uh, Ted talking to all the fucking, you know, badass people that he knows within the gaming industry. Really enjoyable, especially if you're like me and you're into horror stuff. I want to say thank you to John of the Shred for, you know, doing the soundtrack to this amazing collection. All the devs working on this amazing collection. It's going to be absolutely epic. To Doctors Without Borders, hopefully uh, they make a shitload of money and save a fuckload of lives. Because of, uh, you know, amazing things like this. Because charity is just... God. It's amazing what people will do. And it's amazing what we can do as a gaming community. So... Yeah, definitely go pick up your copy. I can't imagine why you wouldn't. But hey, thank you to all the folks who are giving to The Keep as well. We really appreciate that. It's a charity in itself. Do want to say a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Mr. Red Eyes Green Dragon. You are absolutely amazing. And all Patreon supporters get early access to episodes, including this one. So wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. And uh, thanks to everybody else who supports in all the other amazing ways. PayPal, Amazon affiliate links. You can find more ways to support The Keep over at inthekeep.com. But until next time, y'all, stay in The Keep.